a melancholy song that suggested things were falling out of sync. A K-pop hit holding so much beneath its sonic surface. And the source of the vocal harmony we've had stuck in our heads since the early 90s. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Well, folks, we are back with a full edition of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for enduring my singing on that little preview episode we put out last week. You know what? I absolutely killed it in four parts on those harmonies, so I hope you enjoyed it. But yeah, we are moving on with a full episode today talking about boy band songs. And joining me today is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mejia. And I got to single Mejia out here before we jump into the episode because she has worked incredibly hard on Soundfly's brand new course, The Music of Boy Bands. So in this subscriber-only short course, Mejia breaks down all of the incredible elements like lyrics, melody, chords, production, and arrangement that come together to produce this style of music that is almost as nebulous as it is familiar. Of course, if you love pop music and boy band music, then this course is going to be a perfect fit for you. But maybe you're more like me, where you thought you only ironically liked this music, you know, this music from your youth. It was always at the top of the charts when I was in middle school. And you know what? Being able to dive into what makes it tick was such an incredibly fun experience. So the first four sections are available to all of our subscribers, and we've got more sections on the way very, very shortly for this course. And if you're thinking about becoming a subscriber, of course, you can head on to soundfly.com and subscribe and use that discount code THEMES to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. So joining Mejia and I for this deep dive into boy band music and pop songs at large is Martin Fowler. Marty is an incredible musician and producer. He's composed music underscoring Pulitzer Prize winning radio from This American Life and other number one iTunes podcast. He's composed ad music for clients like MLB, BMW, Coke, and Spotify. And he's contributed to beats for the likes of Lil Wayne, Princess Nokia, and Aja the Queen. He's also one of my favorite people on the planet. And you might remember him from our very first episode, Songs from the First Album I Ever Bought. And we get into all kinds of things on this episode, like the layered sophistication of pop hits, Justin Timberlake's songwriting credits, and the origins of New Jack Swing. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Boy Band Songs. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Got a fun episode for you today. Of course, joining me is... Mejia, Mejia, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Carter, and I, I feel like fun let's see what happens maybe maybe it'll be fun maybe it won't i think it's absolutely going to be fun in part because we have a returning guest a soundfly team member our guest from our very first episode mr martin marty fowler how you doing marty (laughs) thanks for having me back it's great to be back i'm so excited man i like we are talking boy band songs let me start with you know, a little word association or words association. When you hear the words boy band, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So a little bit of information that'll come in handy for listeners. Um, I have been working on a new Soundfly course that's a little bit of an experiment on the music of boy bands. 
I wasn't actually someone who would call themselves a fan of boy band music. And that's sort of a, a thing that the team has been a little surprised by. You know, it's a style of music that I think being a child of the 90s, I'm super familiar with. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I've never really treated it the way that I've treated like classical and jazz and that kind of thing, you know? And I feel like it was time to do that. So if you had asked me this question two years ago, my answer would be really different than you asking me that question today. In the past, I probably would have said like fun and nostalgia, but now I'm like so many things. <laughs> I think that's that's a really good point. Is that the 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 universe of boy bands is is very vast, and and especially with the pick I ended up going with, um, mm -hmm. I, it it really taught me that uh, it's it's sort of boy bands are sort of a barometer of of where pop culture is at mm -hmm. moment to moment over the last several decades. Absolutely, and that that means it is. So, so many things, so many different things, depending on what, what era we're in. Totally. There's a really good book that we reference quite a bit in the course. Um, we, I even got a chance to speak to the author. It's called Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands from NKOTB to BTS uh, by Maria Sherman. And one thing mm -hmm. that she talks about that really opened my eyes about just boy band, you know, like cultural iffiness is the fact that even the term boy band kind of became a thing in the small window of time between new edition and um new kids on the block who were essentially a white group trying to do what a black group was doing you know yep. so yeah. there, there's a lot to that that is interesting to dig into and i highly recommend that book but it doesn't stop us from celebrating the fact that all this music is still really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's also what made picking a group and and defining that line really hard is like what is the quintessence of a boy band? Is it is it a bunch of uh, you know, young male identifying crooners like trying to be heartthrobs no matter no matter their race, no matter their genre, no matter what it is that their message really is they're trying to deliver, although usually mm -hmm. it's like I love you, girl. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. that's that sort of that sort of distinction can apply so, so broadly that I think some of the other ones you mentioned, I really considered like the Jackson five, like the mm -hmm. Beatles, those early options. But also um, just just in talking about like another another distinguishing factor for me was, you know, a, a group of mu musicians and or singers who uh who none of whom are necessarily fronting a group where the where the purpose of the right. sound of the group of all male identifying folks is is to have a group sound and and for that reason I almost I almost picked a Wu Tang Clan song for this just to be like <laughs> I was you surprised know? when you said that you know? yeah but or, uh, that's fair or Beastie Boys or something yeah. similar like that definitely you know? Beastie Boys yeah that's one that I think there's almost like a counter culture version of boy bands where you could put like pop punk <laughs> and that kind of thing as well um but the way that i've come to think of them largely because of that book is you know they tend to be manufactured they tend to not mm. write their own music like there's a lot of things where there's an exception to every single rule yeah but most groups cover like 98 percent of these they cover 98 guidelines. degrees yeah, 98 of these <laughs> But yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, but I think you're right, like those archetypes and things, it's almost like, you know, the Power Rangers or something like that. Nobody can really be the front man 
because mm-hmm. everybody's supposed to be able to identify with someone. <laughs> We're we got Power Rangers references, <laughs> boy band. I, I'm sure there'll be some full house talk at, at a certain 90s. point. I I can't wait. I think we got to listen to some music. Let's so let's dive into our first selection. There's a thousand words that I could say To make you come home Yeah Seems so long ago you walked away Left me alone And I remember what you said to me You were acting so strange Mm. And maybe I was too blind to see Mahaya, yeah. what are we listening to? <laughs> We're listening to the, um, I believe it was 2001 track, Gone by NSYNC. This was definitely a really big hit. I think maybe because it's more like down tempo, it isn't one that comes to mind when I'm like, I'm going to put on boy band music. How do you guys feel about it? Well, like when I heard the string intro, I was like, oh, I remember the song. This is a really weird choice based on the catalog of NSYNC music. And then... <laughs> And then the pre-chorus hits. There's that flip in in harmony, and then the chorus hits, and I was all, I was won over. I cannot understate though how much I don't like that string intro at the beginning. It's like I have to really make that point very clear that it's like so it's like a non sequitur almost. Mm-hmm. You know, you're having a conversation with somebody and they make this wild point and then the song starts like having to get the conversation back on track and salvage it. <laughs> The thing that made me decide this was the song I was going to definitely bring and not something more obscure, like not necessarily obscure, but that our listeners might not be super familiar with because I like considered Menudo. Um, I also considered doing like a spoof song, like the Jack in the Box meaty cheesy boys stuff. <laughs> There's this whole <laughs> corner of the internet that's obsessed with it. Those songs are great. Whoever wrote those like nailed like this is how you parody Max Martin. This song takes on a little bit of an interesting character when you find out a little bit of the backstory and start speculating, which I'm one to do with songwriting. So this is um, this is a song that Justin Timberlake has writing credits on, and it seems he did a significant amount of the writing, which is really really rare with boy band music. Yeah. Um, it might even be, he might have only done this and Girlfriend. I think those might be the only two NSYNC songs that he was a songwriter on. I got an idea. Don't you be my girlfriend. I'll treat you good. 
most of the time there's no obvious frontman, but Justin Timberlake stepped into that role in a really obvious way after a while, you know? Also, NSYNC was actually formed kind of as intentional competition for the Backstreet Boys by Lou Pearlman, mm -hmm. who was also managing slash swindling the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. So basically he was like, I built this thing, it worked. I'm going to build this other thing to compete with that thing. And if you listen to like earlier NSYNC stuff, it does feel a little bit closer to the Backstreet Boys. And when we get towards this era, Justin Timberlake in particular is kind of starting to do his own thing and take a little more control over the sound of his music. I don't want to gloss like Lou Pearlman and just in terms of like scummy when you think of like quintessential like bad managers he was he was accused of the longest running ponzi scheme mm -hmm. one of the longest i mean this is pre-madoff uh ponzi schemes in u.s history like more than 300 million dollars in debts he had and he actually when he he did pass away in 2016 he was in the federal correctional institution mm -hmm. in in florida this so he had himself listed as the um as a member of the backstreet boys secretly <laughs> so that he would get paid when they got paid in addition to taking a cut off so he made more money off oh, backstreet boys music no. than any of them did in the beginning yeah that guy's not great this song the way it was arranged with the strings has all these really cool moments where the background vocals are working kind of in tandem where it almost sounds like the voices are like they're singing staccato, but it sounds like they're singing pizzicato. And I love that, mm, especially mm. in those places where the instruments are, are doubling that idea. The time is passing so slowly now. Guess that's my life without you. Justin Timberlake supposedly wanted to write the song for Michael Jackson, which like the way that he... I hear it. Yeah, the way yeah. he sings... They, they have similar vocal ranges, you know, similar stylistically. Obviously, Michael Jackson's sound influenced Justin Timberlake's. Um, mm -hmm. But Michael Jackson turned the song down. NSYNC recorded and released it. Jackson, I guess, came back and said he would do it as a duet with Justin, but not a collaboration with NSYNC. But the song was already out at that point, so oh. they couldn't do anything about that. One thing I really want to point out about this song, just because... Again, I analyzed so much boy band music from going back to like Motown that influenced it to K-pop today. This song has one of the most like traditionally correct melodies <laughs> I've seen. This song follows counterpoint rules almost <laughs> all the way through. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's awesome. Um and not only yeah, that, no like the melody fits. notes are often like third, like character notes, like thirds and even tensions in places instead of just roots and fifths. It's a well-written melody. <laughs> I feel like that really comes through too. Like as as soon as that chorus hit on our first yeah. listen, there you just felt like this sort of, it, it's like this saccharine satisfaction at the the mm -hmm. lushness mm -hmm. of the of the stacks of harmonies, and like you don't get that without without paying really close attention to the to the quality of the uh, of the arrangement, you know, and really getting those those vocal stacks and those other arrangement uh, elements, you know, working together seamlessly and and. and and that counterpoint really comes through. Is there anything more like quintessential this era of music than that arpeggiated acoustic guitar? There's a thousand words that I could say. Takes me back to middle school dance days or junior high, rather, where where I'm from. That's what we call it. So, um, oh man, you know what it reminds me of? Um, 
and I should have had you pull this up because it, it sounded so similar to me. It reminds me of TLC's No Scrubs. Yeah, that is exactly yeah. what yeah. I was thinking. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I almost wonder if it's like a sample or the same guitarist or something like that, but I didn't look it up. Really simple, rapid fire for both of you. NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? For me, it's NSYNC. I think for me, it's Backstreet Boys. Mm. I gotta, I gotta give it to them. They're just, you know, they, they, they got that group sound. They got the, uh, the, the, the major massive hits that I, that I go back to again and again for this style of music. You know, I love JT and I love, I love what they did with the space, but. I don't know. I think Backstreet Boys are the are the quintessential boy band in some ways. What's uh one or two BSB songs that that kind of put them over the top for you? I mean, I want it that way. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Mahay and yeah, I had course. like a very extended conversation <laughs> about that song already in and in, recorded in, in it. It's in the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Martin is sort of the crux of this sound in a lot of ways. Like it came from, you know, yeah. a, a storied history of like pop groups le- led by boys, led by men. Um, but but there's this perfect sort of coalescence of elements that came together under the uh, under the direction of Max Martin, and 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 I think that song is the perfect archetype of a boy band song for that reason. Totally. Marty, something you brought up in that conversation that I had never considered, which really kind of like opened a segment of my mind up in a way that was super refreshing for me. Um, You know, I'm like obsessed with lyrics and my love for that song is funny to me because it pretty famously doesn't make a lot of lyrical sense. But you were bringing up about, you brought up the fact that uh, Max Martin is tuned into this whole thing where you know, different types of syllables and sounds will expose your ear to different overtones. And that's just like, just the idea of of wow. lyrics being used to affect the overall like sound or even mix of a track is fascinating to me. And I feel like I have to give more credit to certain songs that don't make lyrical sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give credit to, uh, to Lorfe of Arthur Moon, who, you know, is really into vocoder and sort of really... In, in working with her on some songs uh, in the last couple of years, she really opened my ears to what it means for like the overtones of harmonies to like clash together in the upper mid range of, of, of human hearing, you know, and that that the, the way that those things interact, not just the, the fundamental note, but the overtones of the note, the way the overtones interact together and, and sometimes clash together in a messy but interesting way is uh, is as much a part of the way that a song needs to be written, arranged, and produced as as just the uh, the notes themselves. That's on such. A, I, I'm just getting this now for the first time. Really, something I've never thought about. So hearing this right now is, I'm shook. I am absolutely <laughs> shook. That's amazing. Just adding to that. I mean, it's it, it also comes from a storied history of of um, humans understanding that. The, the fundamental character of someone's voice is the quality of their overtones mm. and paying attention to the overtones helps you distinguish like your friend from your enemy, your mom mm. from your mm. brother or like anybody in your life who 
you you hear the sound of their voice and the overtones is what helps distinguish who they are. But also I think of like Tuvan throat singing where the whole yep. point is they're droning on a single note and the melody that they're singing is just messing with the overtones that mm. you hear. Mm-hmm. So you might get like, you know, five, three, five, three. And, and what it actually is, is you're hearing the overtones of that in, in those notes rather than the actual fundamental note, which is that low, like, like girl, blah, <laughs> um, which is such a You're beautiful very good sound. At that. Yeah, that that was yeah. a beautiful sound. <laughs> yeah, you dude, you can't throat sing on the spot, bro. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing. I, I, nope, yeah. I don't got it. I think there's also something to be said though about like when you when we talk about pop music and and listeners, and I'm not even like the biggest pop music fan. It's not necessarily what I would choose to put on a, a personal playlist or anything. But when I do listen to it, I I love it and have a lot of respect for it because. When you dig into the finer details, like 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 I'm uncovering now, like just like saying the right syllables is going to affect harmonically and melodically what's going on. There's so many layers to it. It's not just yeah, it's commercial and like really fine tuned and really polished, but there's a lot of intellect that goes into making this music. I think as well. So. BTS. So this song came out in 2016. It's it's off of um, it's off of the album "The Most Beautiful Moment Ever in Life," Young Forever. That's amazing. Um, oh, I love what that. a what a title, right? Their vibe is is so contemporary and and fascinating to me as an evolution of the storied history of boy bands. They're incorporating so many of the traditional elements, you know, dressing in costume together that's that's highly stylized and complementary to one another doing uh intense synchronized dance moves that have become like really a space that is like kind of owned by k-pop at the moment in, in a really interesting way and of course like singing these these huge lush choral harmonies <laughs> Even if you don't like this music, you can't deny the sort of energy that that espouses, you know? I got to call out Backstreet Boys Larger Than Life energy here. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. really, like, it almost feels yeah. like a nod. It's so, it, it feels so in that that world, that zone of like, here we are, we're doing our thing. You know, we are, It's it sounds like they are trying to say they are larger than life, which just feels so appropriate. This track, weirdly enough, reminded me of two 
uh, Macklemore songs. The the like the, that clap uh, rise is like yeah, yeah can't hold us for sure. There might have been another song that I'm missing, but that sax totally reminded me of Thrift Shop. building this course, K-pop, I really barely touched on. Not because I don't think it's fascinating, because I think it's amazing, because it's so its own world in some ways. Like, it it breaks all the rules, not just in terms of boy band music, but also in terms of pop. Like, it draws from hip-hop and draws from, like, electronica and all these styles that other boy bands kind of tiptoed into. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll just go all in on something for, like, a moment. Um, but even like culturally, it has all its own slang and the number of people in the groups is often like it blows my mind that there could be that many obsessed fans who know like all like whatever, like in this group, I think it's seven and in others, there's like 14. There might even be one that goes higher than that. Um, I can't even name all the members of the Backstreet Boys sometimes, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, it's tough. What you're describing, all of these influences are are really of the era that this track was made mm-hmm. in, including that, that main sax line. Like, that was such an early 2010s yeah. sort of fixture of pop. It was also around the era where, like, EDM was still, like, the thing that was happening, but there was a style of EDM mm-hmm. called Big Room, I believe it was called, and it's where you, you have this big buildup, basically, and then when you actually hit the drop, you basically get, like, the bass maybe a backbeat and then some like <laughs> really gnarly kind of kind of sample sound like just something that just like sticks out and forward at you in this and and the saxophone plays plays this role and that's that's sort of where where that sound came from in many ways and then they do this again with a different sound i think it's if you can call it a bridge there's a there's a moment later on in the track you know hearing it back now it sounds like bees in the trap bees in the trap it's like way more of a trap kind of hip-hop kind of thing but that sound like definitely comes from a storied history in in like weirder wilder electronic edm music as well it just goes to show that like one of the things they do so well is fuse all of these different genre elements make it seamless make it sound huge and make it sound their own and they do that again and again and again on on every record that i've heard of theirs it's a beautiful thing to see people sort of recontextualizing cultural elements at the same time that it's also i'm trying to always look at things like this from a a cultural sort of context lens and it does follow a little bit in the admittedly problematic history in boy bands of appropriating especially black culture black american music culture and making it into Mm -hmm. something that is commercially viable for whoever happens to have a pretty face on the cover of what is being put forward right um so you know if i had to offer one sort of criticism out there um don't don't come at me, BTS Army, please. <laughs> um, that being said, they, they, uh, this song and all, almost all of BTS's lyrical content, at least from the the discussions and translation I've found online, 
are really, really socially conscious. It's really them being like, you know, here's here's this. We have this beautiful global culture of music, and and let's let's honor it and use all the best parts and and make something really big and beautiful and mm-hmm. and and really full of full of hope is what it feels like. And and from a lyrical perspective, in my understanding, because you know, interestingly, there it seems like a lot or most of their work is in Korean, but there's always little bits of of English that pop through in in many songs, including this one. Right. But so you know take this as a grain of salt. This is basically like what I've read on the internet about this song, but, um, it's, it's fascinating actually. So the, the lyrics are, are really about the sort of overwork culture of mainstream Mm. Korea, Mm -hmm. which, oh my God, I can relate to this so much, (laughs) but it's, but it sounds like it's even really worse there that, uh, somebody cited around the time that this came out, that there was something like a 12.5% youth unemployment rate. And mm. folks try, just coming out of college with, like, perfect records in, uh, in school across the board and, like, just, just aces and A's can't, can't even get a prospect at a job. Wow. And all of the money is being hoarded by the owner class. Sounds a little familiar, right, here in America? <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so the song is about being a part of this, quote-unquote, generation uh, – this this three po generation sampo generation they they call it at first which is about having to give up three things that's that's what it means it, in my understanding and those those three things are courtship essentially dating and like mm-hmm. enjoying being a young person with other young people marriage and childbirth that essentially the first three things you give up because you don't have time for that shit cuz you got to work yourself to the bone and then they level it up and they say now we're a, now we're a, a five po generation now we now we don't care about employment or home ownership because we can't get it because yeah. we're never gonna get it because we don't have any mm. chance and then and then they go deeper to to 6 and 7 where you're essentially giving up your dreams your your interpersonal relationships and then finally your hope but the the point of the wow. song is to be like we're not we're not going to give that up. We're never giving up hope. definitely came into today's episode superficially i think liking the song because the song is absolutely incredible and and hearing it i felt like i could run for the rest of my life after one one <laughs> listen of it like the amount of energy i had but then hearing i mean marty incredible uh insight and breakdown there because that i mean yeah i feel completely seen and heard by those lyrics yeah. for sure and and an existence that i that many of us uh, in our generation can can relate to and that using that platform and using that style of music in in that way is is incredibly powerful for sure and and definitely a far cry from you know in music that we love and there's nothing wrong with loving it but the superficialities of mid 90s early 2000s boy band music of like girl you broke my heart yeah you know the superficial thing's interesting though right because on the one hand it is superficial and on the other hand by being that kind of superficial and generic it allowed itself to be a safe haven for um groups of people that the mainstream industry ignored or belittled for a long time like the stigma to liking boy band music is funny 
it's not that different from like loving a sports team or something like that. But, you know, like it, it becomes a thing that can belong to a 14 year old girl, you know, um, a choice she can make on her yeah. own and stuff, which again, I, I keep quoting it, but Maria Sherman's book has so many good things to say. You guys check that out. <laughs> awesome. Um, shall we break down our last track? Yes. Folks, we are, of course, listening to Motown Philly from Boys to Men. First things first, a couple of fast facts on the track. It's the group's debut single uh, from the record, which is one of my favorite album titles ever, Cooley High Harmony, all one word. Uh, from 1991, this track peaked at number three on the top 100. There's some other tracks from that record. Um, End of the Road, with a classic, classic intro that, like, girl, you know we belong together, like... Guys, I love this song, the bounce to it, which we're going to get to, you know, expected from any boy band track, the harmonies and runs throughout the track, how languid the vocals are on the chorus over that groove. The groove, of course, from the New Jack Swing era, the the actual like diving into that style of music. And it, there's a million songs with, with that style. But any initial connotations when I say New Jack Swing to you? I've definitely heard the phrase before, but I wouldn't. And simultaneously, I've always been like, oh, there's like this particular like production and groove style to this era and genre realm of music. And I never I never like put those two mm -hmm. things together. I found a really amazing oral history of, of New Jack Swing on Red Bull Music Academy. We'll put it in the show notes. Highly recommend anybody checking it out. Teddy Riley is the name that keeps coming up as mm -hmm. per perhaps the originator yeah. of, of New Jack Swing. Um, he was in the R&B group Guy. Uh, their track, Peace of My Love, is bananas how sick that track is. It's so good. After Guy dissolved, he he was a member of the band Blackstreet. Uh, Blackstreet, known for known for their track No Diggity, of course, among others. But and, and this is from the oral history. It, Teddy Riley, when describing the sound of New Jack Swing, I want to get it from his words, of course. Uh, he says, "Well, the New Jack Swing sound is." It's so much behind it, but I can tell you in a few words or a lot of words. I, I, I love these quotes sometimes <laughs> that we get. Uh, New Jack Swing is a sound of music that doesn't have a color line and it doesn't have an expression. It fits the occasion, but it's a collaboration of rap and singing together. It's a collaboration of different genres of music and styles that is put together all in one bag. I would say New Jack Swing is heavy R&B, heavy rhythm and blues, 
all stuck in one bag. I saw some people say it's maybe has to do with the MPC. I then saw, you know, maybe the TR-808 was heavily involved in the production and the style of music. You've got distinct kick, uh, distinct snare, for sure. The hi-hats with those swung 16th notes. And of course, I think maybe the most distinct sound, that one shot that I can't really put my finger in. It's at the top of this song. It's at the top of Bill Bev DeVoe's Poison. It's in all of these songs. Marty, as a, as a production whiz, just any additional thoughts on uh, the, the actual groove and production uh, of uh, New Jack Swing style music? Well, I think you nailed it. And and really the the production out of that era was 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 centering so much around the hype of the uh of of the of the mpc and the and the 808 you know with with the way hip-hop was being made in particular but i think you nailed it with the uh with the term swing it was all about that swing knob you know you hear music coming out of that era that has that you you might call it a a, a mechanized truly mechanized swing feel you know it's an obscene swing, you know, and it's it's not something you would hear someone play necessarily exactly like that, so straight and consistent, and that kind of gives it its own characteristic vibe. You know, some other tracks worth worth uh, mentioning. Bobby Brown's "My Prerogative." New additions, if it isn't love, a little slower version. And then an updated version, you had Bruno Mars and Cardi B's uh, track, the remix of Finesse uh, from a few years ago, maybe 2016, I think. That was a huge hit, and the new Jack Swing kind of remix of, of the original was, was incredible. The lyrics of this track. This is weird for me. I'm going to hit on the lyrics more than I think I have on any other song that I've picked. Um, and for that being, a, you know, a what I'm calling a boy band track, I think is, is really cool for the track. That boys to men, ABC, BBD. I had no, like I had, I had to learn so this sick. track on numerous occasions for sure. And I would always like, what are they saying there? And this time I finally Can I tell you something real quick? Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Can I admit to something? Please. So this is a song my mom had, Cooley High Harmony. So it was on very Sick. often. But Sick. I don't know if this is like a cultural term or if it's just a nickname for a thing that my my neighbors had. But they use the word bibbidies to <laughs> refer to like <laughs> like my little brother and his friends like underwear, like chonies or something oh, like that. Man. So I always, <laughs> for most of my childhood, I thought Motown Philly was just like randomly referencing men's underwear. Oh my goodness. And I, I think I think myself, you might be the but... only person on the planet that has yeah, had that listening to this song. For our listeners that now are maybe thinking of it the same way that you are, I'm going to quickly shift that and what it actually means. <laughs> Uh, so the the line boys to men abc bbb that is a reference to the east coast family of r&b groups michael bivens was really the the found he was a founding member of new edition um one of the earlier groups that we might consider kind of a, a boy band uh so but when totally. new edition split uh he helped form bell biv devoe of course track poison just uh, maybe maybe their best known track Move, 
Evans did manage the other groups of the East Coast family. Boys to Men uh, and another bad creation, your ABC. And then BBD, Belle Biv DeVoe. So it's a reference to that family groups that Michael Bivens uh, was the manager of. Now, the lyrics too, like they tell the origin story of the group. Bivens has a verse on this. You know, he's like, now check this out. One day back in Philly, four guys wanted to sing, right? Like, I'm not going to do the whole verse because I can't do it justice. (laughs) But that's how it starts. The story goes that Boys to Men went backstage to a new edition concert in Philadelphia and sang for several of the members on the spot. And Bivens on the spot was like, I'm going to manage you guys. Like that legit happened. And uh, and that is reflected in the song at this very moment. Then I said, all right, fellas, well, let me see what you can do. And then a smile when they want you said, yo, Mike, check this out. See if this one One note on the harmony that I think is like kind of really, really interesting. That opening melody note that boys to men, they're singing the, the flat 13 against the one chord, but the there's a lot going on. So yep. the bass is playing one, four, flat three, um, which which is totally kind of works, uh, you know, over a minor chord. It's a little like the four is definitely maybe takes it in a different direction. But the fact that they're singing that flat 13, it's a lot of tension. I can't think of another example where this has happened before. Every time I hear it's a very interesting choice, I think. It's yeah. a unique choice. I think it's one that I can't, Again, I can't think of an example where that choice has been made uh, elsewhere. Um, just, yeah. Well, that just feels like a really, it, it feels almost like a traditional vamp. Yeah. It's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the implication on the downbeats is the one minor. And then you have this, I think if I'm hearing it correctly, it's a diminished triad, the two, the four, and the mm-hmm. flat six together in the vocals. So it's kind of yes, like yeah. m- one minor, boys, da, 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 which is like the kind of vamp you might hear in a, in a, like a jazz yeah. intro, like a, a, a like a really traditional. Not to mention 100%. that'd be really difficult to sing, like those kind of tense harmonies when you're just standing next to another dude who's singing a note that's not yeah. particularly consonant with yours. That's that's hard. <laughs> Maybe one of the reasons why I, I landed on this song so quickly is one of my favorite just subplots for any episode of television ever is uh, the gang of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> having to learn this song for a boys to men competition. Back in school, we used to dream about this every day. Did it really happen? Or did dreams just fade away? Stop, 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 stop. God, guys, damn it. I mean, you know, I need a little little buoyancy in the harmonies. Marty, you are just an incredible dude, an incredible musician, uh, and just like, yeah, one of my favorite people on the planet. You got lots going on musically. Is there anything you want to share with our audience um, you know, it's coming coming up for you musically, or just just anything life wise you want to share too. You know, you <laughs> what do you to want to get that. off your chest? Yeah, yeah. You got I any bones to pick think, out there? I don't think this <laughs> is the space for that part of the no. conversation. Yeah, what do you but, got going uh, on, man? 
you know, lots of good stuff, lots of good stuff going on. You know, um, I just uh, released the the Shipworm podcast, which is a, a feature length podcast that I scored. Um, that's sort of like a traditional film score kind of kind of work. We'll have a soundtrack coming out for that. Um, I got singles coming out like once a month for Arthur Ooh, Moon. Amazing. It's actually out one today on the the day of this taping, so it'll it'll have been out for a minute by the time you hear this. Uh, and then also, um, I, I produced uh, one of the one of the lead tracks for Aja the Queen, um, Aja's uh, Aja's track or er, sophomore album. It's called Crown. They've come a long way. If you don't, if you're not familiar, Aja came to fame uh, by nearly winning, and and some would say uh, having their wins <laughs> stolen on RuPaul's yeah. Drag Race, um, and then and then a return on All Stars. Um, I've been working with Aja for yeah. for a minute. She's she's Maybe. incredible, um, and really trying to like tell her own story on this record in a way that's really, really powerful and beautiful. And, and I, I was, I was happy and, and honored to produce a track on that. So that's out today as well. And that's going to do it for another episode of themes and variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite boy band song. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. If you'd like to drop us a line, be sure to email us at podcast at soundfly.com or find us on Twitter at learn to soundfly. And of course, remember to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.